Hello, and welcome to another episode of Echopunks, recorded live in front of an automated audience. Today, we're coming together to talk about self-driving delusions, which is partly triggered by a very large news of Tesla basically facing a recall of almost every single vehicle that they've ever produced. And the recall itself fundamentally targets not so much the self-driving capabilities of Tesla vehicles, but the way in which the self-driving vehicle requires that the human sitting behind the wheel is fully attentive. So the recall is not to affect the self-driving capability, which is highly controversial, highly dangerous, part of the reason that this uh, entire story is happening, but instead the recall has to do with the driver's tendency to ignore all warnings, to ignore all guidance and assume that the self-driving capabilities are robust enough to put their life into their hands and in that sense, this is also a story of marketing gone wild because many people buy Tesla vehicles precisely because Elon Musk says that they are self-driving. So on the one hand, the company is promising that they're self-driving, but on the other hand, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, they're not exactly safe for self-driving. So what does this say about people's expectations of a Tesla vehicle? What does this say about recalls in the age of automated software? And what does this say in general about our confidence or hope in self-driving cars and vehicles as a concept? I'm joined today by Jan Lemke, Greg Strohmeister, Sharita Ryan, and David Ryan to talk about the larger dynamic in which this historic recall takes place. So with that intro kind of laid out of the way, Jan, why don't I throw to you first? Because, you know, Elon Musk is someone who we've spoken about previously. He is not uh, a new subject to anyone listening or to arguably anyone on the planet. I'm curious to hear your take on this story and I, and and why you feel that this is significant for, uh, enough for us to do a podcast, even though I admit I'm the one who called it, but all four of you have showed up. So I'm curious <laughs> as to why. Yeah, let's maybe start with uh, the term delusion, which uh, is uh, brilliantly chosen in the context of uh, autonomous self-driving vehicles and in the context of Elon Musk, who, if I'm not entirely wrong, predicted in 2016 or 17 that by the end of 2018 there would be hundreds of thousands of self-driving autonomous vehicles on the streets of the United States, which is still not the case five years later. So this, I think, is where uh, the delusion starts. Um, I think it continues uh, along the uh, language that is being here, which uh, is, in my opinion, outright dangerous, right? So uh, as you stated, rightfully so, uh, Jesse, this is being uh, called and uh, positioned as a recall, while Elon Musk chooses to call it a software update. And other headlines have, um, you know, chosen different language again. And no, you know, people have died in this context. It is not a software update. It is a really, really serious threat to humanity that is going on there. 
And if we then take a step back here and look at recalls in other industries, right? If we take a look at what is happening at Panera around caffeinated lemonade at the moment, if we take a look at what happened years ago at Chipotle in the United States when uh, the salad had gone wrong, or at Basking Robbins, uh, who had sold one frozen cake a couple of years ago uh, that was, um, you know, bad with salmonella, then I'm wondering what does that even tell us about the uh, importance of cars in society if, um, you know, deaths are being uh, taken into account uh, with language around software updates. That's, that's a, I think, a really powerful condemnation of the way in which Elon Musk is handling this. And I think you're right in saying that the auto industry has this kind of privileged position. Because, you know, uh, there was another recall uh, 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 that I was reading around, or Nature Valley, and one of their granolas, which has not only made people sick, but has also induced disability mm -hmm. because of the severe impact that it had. And it is interesting that, uh, as I mentioned in the intro, this is a recall of every single vehicle they've ever built. Like, that's huge. And to your point, him trying to make it like it's no big deal because it's a software update does seem a little disingenuous and does seem to be minimizing the real safety risks that this poses. So, Sharita, uh, mm. you strike me as the furthest thing from a car person. What attracts you to this this topic and this conversation? Um, I think what, you know, uh, attracts me is um, I kind of look at Elon Musk um, as, you know, a, a complete combustible fire. Just about anything he touches seems to go belly up. So that's probably, you know, why I'm I'm doing this. And and also um, one of my friends, uh, Molly, has begun to count how many Teslas there are on the road uh, because she wants to become more aware of Teslas in case they, you know, basically are self-driving and they break down so she can get out of their way. <laughs> Which is hilarious because <laughs> I, I think Molly's not alone. I think the amount of people who are increasingly seeing them as hazards on the road Right. And and the assumption being that not just that they break down, but maybe the person in the car is not responsible enough mm -hmm. to be in control of the car. So, Stro, uh, I, I, I know that you're someone who's often very critical of technology and very critical of corporate power. What what brings you to today's conversation? Uh, yeah. It, it, when I read it, I was, I was like, this is this is kind of interesting because um I, as you know, I'm into cars a little bit, um, and uh, I, I'm not necessarily against technology, um, maybe useless technology. I'm definitely very critical of, you know, corporate power and, uh, you know, capitalism in general because of the oppression and <laughs> that it creates. But, um, you know, I'm just just trying to put everything into context. I only read the article. I really don't know much about uh in more of the context than what I've heard here in, in the, the article that we're, we're talking about. I think it was a CNN article about the recall. And it's making me think that, you know, the initial comparison is to food. And I don't think we can compare it the same way because cars are not necessary for our survival. Our food chain is. And I think there's a huge di difference in, um, you know, how we approach the recall 
Um, and something that also that was said that that kind of strikes me is um, it, Elon Musk predicted the self-driving cars, but these Teslas are in fact self-driving cars. They may not be good at doing the self-driving, but there are hundreds of thousands of these Teslas out there that are capable of driving themselves, right? Um, so, so when I when I put all this try to put make sense out of all of this i think i you know it's so easy to go after a guy like musk uh, because he's got so much power he's what now the richest person on earth i think right um Please, so it's, yeah yeah it's easy to scrutinize everything that musk is trying to do and i'm not saying you know nobody's infallible but i think some of the things that he's working on are actually benevolent, um, and it's going to be trial and error. Uh, so I'm going to kind of take I'm 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 on the Elon Musk side of things. I think in this argument because you know he is trying to solve some of the biggest problems that we have uh, when it comes to energy and efficiency and just understanding. And I think just as a general population, we don't actually have any better solutions than he does. Um, and, but it's so easy to be critical because we don't understand exactly the vision for how these things uh, are supposed to go. Like, I understand he's a bit of a tyrant, right? And because he not only has power, but he also has vision and he's putting it into practice. Uh, but there's way worse uh, things that we ought to be worrying about than self-driving cars or updating this. You know, oh, the, other, the only other thing I want to add to this is the thing, I think this whole thing is comical because... You're, you know, it is the driver's imperative to stay focused on the road. We're blaming a car that's mm. capable of taking over and actually maybe keeping things safe as opposed to blaming that every driver like it's behind the wheel should be the one that's accountable for their actions and the safety of their vehicle, whether they put it in auto drive or not. Right. So it's like the whole thing to me is just a farce. It's like you're. You're doing a. You should recall every goddamn driver on the road and make sure they're <laughs> capable, not so, not the car. And, and let's come back to that because I think the subject of mandatory annual mandatory driver testing, which you just floated there, Stro, I think it's an interesting policy idea which we'll come back to. But two points you made, which which I want to emphasize before we throw to David, Elon Musk's primary agenda is to keep these cars on the road. Right. Stroh is right in the sense that they are self-driving cars. They're not safe self-driving cars. They're arguably not legal self-driving cars, but they are self-driving cars. And Tesla's economic advantage, their competitive advantage, is that they have more self-driving cars on the road than anybody else. And it is allowing them to build a machine learning system, i.e. the brains of self-driving cars, faster than any other car company on the planet because these cars are on the road and gathering data in real time. And that is why he is downplaying this experiment. But Stroh also, I think, pointed out another interesting stat, which is when drivers use this feature responsibly, right? When they use it in the conditions that it has been proscribed, accidents go down, right? Road incidents go down. So there is a larger argument as to how this technology could result in increased safety. It's just not there yet. So David, I would love for you to, to weigh in, and I'm curious your thoughts, both on Tesla in general, but in particular on this sort of uh, a, a myth or technology around self-driving cars 
And and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it as a driver, as a car aficionado. Well, we get Teslas into the shop for, you know, um, every once in a while. They're not terribly well put together vehicles. Um, so on the one side, I, it, when I drive uh, uh, these days, uh, cars are a blight, aren't they? I mean, the proliferation of cars and people's um, um, need to use cars as a means of transportation is is a it's a misdirection of civilization, really, isn't it? I mean, and the idea that so I like to drive, I love to drive uh, a cars, I like to be in control of my cars. People who want self-driving cars perhaps don't, and so. But if they don't want to drive, but they want to get transported, is a self-driving car the answer, or is would Tesla would would Elon have been um, making a, a, a more beneficial contribution to society if he developed a better way of transporting people around in public conveyance uh, more, you know. It, in more public conveyance um, modalities rather than pursuing this vision of a self-driving um, car because he said that he wanted to, he was going to make a self-driving car. So it's like somebody <laughs> says something at some point and then feels compelled to have to, you know, a decade later to have to follow through in order to demonstrate that uh, he, you know, this is a guy who can do what he says he's going to do, and it's at you know at um, at the expense of um, of um, well at, at the expense I was going to say at the expense of other people on the road in this instance, but also at the expense of the vehicle itself. When you when you look at the build quality of Teslas and look at the price of them, you think that um, you know th that uh, that um, Elon is not doing people 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 much of a favor by pursuing this this vision that he that he that he had um many years ago of the self-driving car well i think go ahead yeah yeah i think david uh, is making a great point here with regards to um the perceived and real quality of teslas right you could even argue first things first uh, in my last job in an ad agency i worked on a, a luxury car account and uh, we paid a lot of attention to tesla and repeatedly came to the conclusion that particularly the interior feels more like the interior of a toyota a prius yeah. right uh instead of a luxury car so you could argue hey um you know why not fix first things first and make sure that the plastic doesn't fall off uh, the dashboard while you drive i want to briefly um comment on um, Stroh um, and, and the statements that you made. I absolutely agree with you uh, and do also want to acknowledge that um, Elon Musk is definitely working on uh, important topics in important industries uh, and is probably one of the geniuses at our times, right? I do believe, though, that um, the comparison in this case to the food industry is absolutely valid. Because uh, as Sharida said, uh, right, a Tesla in traffic is a potentially deadly weapon. And yeah, the car might uh, be able to drive independently. But, you know, as we have read, people are dying along the way. And as long as that is possible, 
I think, uh, you know, the fact that uh, Elon Musk's IQ is significantly higher than everyone else's and that he's a genius is a really, really poor excuse for, uh, you know, letting this uh, go on and get away. And the last point that I want to make here is, um, you know, the accuracy of language that is being used. And uh, the lens uh, through which I look at this is, very uh, American upcoming uh, election tinted, right? Because um, when I read recall of all cars that have ever been produced because there are problems and people have died and someone else is talking about, oh, it's just a software update, then I'm thinking alternative facts. Mm -hmm. And we've all seen that movie unfold before. And, you know, I mean... This, to me, is an intellectual insult to claim in public that this is a software update. No, it is not. Stop the bullshit. I am not stupid. Period. Well, and, and that was that was my point originally about the marketing. That, you know, if this was being marketed all along, like I liked Stro, I liked how you presented it within the safety context. Because if he had marketed this entirely as a safety technology, not self-driving, Right. Use this automated assistive technology that will help you drive safe. Oh, by the way, it can operate your entire car if you wanted. But that's not the point. Right. If it was framed not as self-driving, but as safety, would people use it differently? Would that achieve the responsibility, Stro, that you were evoking? Because you're right. Fundamentally, it's the licensed driver who is responsible for the operation of the motor vehicle. And yet I think the danger of the rhetoric and the marketing spin is it it gives people a false sense of security in the technology. So they're trusting the technology rather than, to your point, Stro, fundamentally being responsible themselves. So I'm curious, Stro, whether you think that this is partly an issue of storytelling, of marketing, or whether you think, to your point, people are focusing on the underlying technology because it is potentially empowering and liberating. Absolutely. It is definitely about storytelling, right? So I think it's the, the PR that, you know, because do we really know what the update's going to be, right? What this recall is about? I don't know. And I, I actually don't know the stats of like how many Teslas have killed, car, like how many Tesla cars have killed people as opposed to cars that don't have that technology inside the car either right like i i still think that the tesla is a safer car than your general combustible engine car uh with the driver behind it that's actually responsible i don't know why do you say that stro why do you you know the operational the operational word in your sentences was the word think so i think you said so i think so we can't you know, draw conclusions on the basis of right, and I, you're right, David. I don't, I don't sure. know the stats. I don't. Yeah. I'm assuming that because most of the motor vehicle accidents out there are actually caused by the driver, and that's, you know, I don't have the facts. I don't have the stats. But that's on... my point, though. If 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 the accident is fundamentally caused by the driver, and the driver of a Tesla is given a false sense of arrogance that their car is safer or that their car is magical because it can drive itself. Is that not then the driver who is ultimately responsible, but it's the culture and the story that allows that driver to be less responsible or more complacent. Do you think right. that's exactly. a factor? 
And I, I think that's exactly right. And that's, I'm, I'm just saying it's always the driver, whether it's uh, behind the wheel of a Tesla or behind the wheel of any other vehicle, it, it is up to the driver. And so it's the storytelling that's the issue here because it shouldn't have never been marketed as anything, but you're still the driver of this car and you're still responsible for what it does. Does that bring us back an... then? Sorry, David, you go ahead. I don't know of another car that swerves to the left. Um, you know, that, that, that's what Teslas, Teslas do when they're in self-driving mode. But let me go back to say, to ask, um, do, we're, we're making a lot of assumptions about things here that I'm not sure um, are valid. So do people have confidence in their um, self, in the self-driving element? And I, I don't want to even call it self-driving because it's not self-driving. <laughs> yeah, but, but here's the point. Sorry. Do they have so, confidence in it? I, I, I suspect yeah. that most don't, and people don't buy the Tesla for its self-driving. They buy it for its echo. For its but here's the thing, David, David, David. This country that I'm living in, right, has a population, uh, parts of which eat light bulbs and drink uh, dye when the president says that, you know, we'll save them from COVID. Uh, where I'm going with this is my previous point about the accuracy of language, because I think Stroh made just a really good point when he said these cars should have never been marketed as self-driving or autonomous. If you tell me, you know, English as a second language, hey, this car is self-driving, then to me, this car must be self-driving and autonomous means autonomous. And no, the asterisk says uh, you have to pay attention at all times and keep your hands at the steering wheel and look in the back rear view mirror. So what is it? Is it autonomous or is it not autonomous? And if it isn't, then don't call it autonomous. Another marketing idea here that just came up based on uh, what you first said, David, uh, when you said you're not interested in self-driving because you like driving cars, You know, if I had anything to say at Tesla, I would maybe use this as an opportunity to focus on the fun that it is to drive a Tesla. I wouldn't even go to autonomous and self-driving. I would try to take this out of my value proposition as much as I could. And, you know, I don't, I've never sat behind the wheel of a Tesla, but the few people that I know who have say, hey, it's actually okay to drive this. So why not talk a little bit about the fun of driving a vehicle. I personally never got the need to outsource that to a machine yeah. either. I mean, the, the, the value add to me from a Tesla, other than its ecological, the ecological implications, is its speed of acceleration. The electric motor is very, very fast. And it's, it's fun. Well, and this is but, the, the Cybertruck. It will be more dangerous than the self-driving. <laughs> yes. Okay, you well, are. And, and, and the, the larger, I, I want to throw to Sharita, just mm. uh, coming back to Musk. But, th you know, the other context here is the Cybertruck, right? And the Cybertruck is, is a bit of a disaster in the sense that it goes really fast. But the cost of repair to the Cybertruck is going to be astronomical because of the steel that they've used as part of it. And the function of the Cybertruck is still kind of to be determined. So it strikes me that we're talking about the story. We're talking about the culture. And I, I think that the, you know, David's point about the ecological reasons to drive a Tesla, 
I think that the the myth and the story is part of the appeal. So, you know, Sharita, I'm curious whether you think that they're the leadership of Musk. Uh, do you think that that is changing in terms of people's perception of Tesla? Because you're the kind of person who never would have bought the the myth of Elon Musk. You You always would have kind of seen through a demagogue like this. Do you think other people are starting to see through that myth? And do you think it will fundamentally impact how people perceive or trust Tesla? Because your anecdote about Molly, I don't think is isolated, right? The fact that Molly is now distrusting Tesla's on the road and is approaching Tesla's on the road the way some people approach, say, white vans, that they're inherently suspicious and you always have to watch out what they're going to do. How much of that is the vehicle and how much of that is the leader, right, of the company? Um, I think I want to come at this um, from the point of view of unintended consequences. Um, Musk is a classic example, uh, for instance, in terms of, you know, what used to be Twitter, uh, in terms of the unexpected consequences of him taking the lead at Twitter. I mean, basically, for many people, he's destroyed that type of communication. Other people, he hasn't. Um, but the whole thing of unintended consequences, I don't think he pays much attention to that. He's very much of the, you know, the the godlike uh, Ayn Rand uh, hero, right? Um, he's, you know, a genius. He's brilliant. I don't, I don't know. I don't know that I would describe him a genius. I agree uh, with you, but huh? I agree with you. Yeah. Um, basically, because there are many areas of his life that he doesn't act like a genius. Um, <laughs> he's a misogynist, he, right? He has the money. Yes. And uh, the risk taking. and But the ideas that he implements are somebody else's. So, you know, I, I really think that we have to look at unintended consequences and the unintended co consequences of the Tesla and pair that with the narrative that is being put out um, that, you know, oh boy, it's a self-driving car. I'll get in this car and I'll be a better driver. Nuts. <laughs> you know, and it goes back to Stroh's original argument, which I'm partial to, which is fundamentally the driver is responsible. Yeah. Right. And if anything, this technology should be making the driver more responsible. So, so Stroh, allow me to throw you a curveball. Yeah. Be, because of all of, of the five of us present here today, you, you probably have the, the greatest respect or, or esteem of Musk. If Trump wins next year or if Trump makes such uh, like let's assume he doesn't win but he competes effectively enough that he can claim that he won right because we all know he will that do no he, matter what right we all know that if he loses he's going to claim that that he wins how does that impact musk right does trump's return does trump's resurgence impact the perception and reputation of musk to Sharita's point, because of the way in which Musk has kind of embodied X, right? What used to be Twitter. And Musk is now a kind of political figure. So is his fortune tied to Trump 
or should we be treating them independently? I think I think it's independent. I actually don't know enough about how the money flow, how he was able to get his hands on NASA and all the, all these billions of dollars or, he started, or whatever, right? He started out very rich. Yeah, I, I understand that. It's actually stolen money from the mines and the, from the, the mining that his family came from, right? I understand that. It's like the history of America is, is definitely uh, through slavery and colonization. This is where it's worth pointing out that Musk is South African. So his his wealth <laughs> literally comes from apartheid and the gold mines in South yes, Africa. Yes, exactly. Right? Absolutely. Um, and so, but just let me just say this. Uh, you know, he's he is a business, like he's just a system genius, but that doesn't make him genius at life. He's just really good. He's a savant at this one thing. But you're right. His, you know, generally as a, you know, he's no Einstein. Let's just put it that way. He's not a philosopher or anything like that. He understands how to work this one system. Right. And what is that? And he knows how to work the American system, obviously. Um, and so, I, again, I don't know the the. I don't know the ins and outs of how his access to that was there because I would like some access to that money too, right? Like I, I, I would get in on it uh, to try to do good with it. But ultimately, fundamentally, I think he means well, uh, even though he may not be a very well-adjusted human being and his reality is not, nothing from what reality is like for 99.999, et cetera, percent of the population, right? Um, I don't, you know, and again, I think what happens in the next election, uh, if Trump is actually running, I mean, that is going to be a whole other shit show, um, you know, that we have to deal with. And, and, and I think keeping the keeping what Musk is actually the problems he's working on separate from that are important. And you should keep the science away from the <laughs> politics and the religion. <laughs> Good luck with that. Yon. Yeah. Jan, you're you're sort of shaking your head here. Please. Um, I I don't I don't really know where to start. So, um, you know, you asked um about Elon and Trump, or you know, individually. I would strongly say um, individually, but at the same time, they are also um, you know reinforcing uh, one another. Right? It feels like. Um, almost um you know um that's not a good comparison here i use it anyway two bands of uh the same genre dominating the charts and the headlines because as i said before i observe what elon musk is doing now and how he is talking and it reminds me very very much of how donald trump spoke uh, six years ago uh, seven years ago and this has me really, really worried. I feel I'm, you know, sounding like my super conservative grandfather who I never had. But the accuracy in, you know, what we say, I think Peter O'Toole in The Last Emperor of uh, China, no, no, The Last Emperor explains the meaning of the word gentleman to, some, uh, to, to, to the emperor. And he says, a gentleman says what he means and also means what he says, right? And, um, you know, this sounds... That really is increasingly simple. rare, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, and simple things such as, okay, what does autonomous and self-driving really mean? Yeah. That drives me nuts. The fact that and, we have to discuss this. 
You know? And I want to come back to that, but I think you raise a very important Jan, a very important point, Jan, which is the, the the where Trump and Musk have in common, and I say this not as a bad thing, but as a positive thing, is they're aspirational, mm-hmm. right? They like Trump aspires to power, right? Musk aspires to you know commercial success, but their desire for whatever it is they aspire to is so strong that they divorce reality. Right. That they divorce from the present, that that where we are doesn't matter. And it becomes an entire fantasy. But this point about fantasy, because we are talking about self-driving today, we, we will talk about the rise <laughs> of the far right in, in a future episode, because I think that that is going to be 2024. But I wanted to uh, uh, talk about something we mentioned in the newsletter, which is this company comma.ai. Right. Because we've been talking about Tesla as kind of introducing self-driving cars via marketing. Right. By hyping it up, by creating a language, by being aspirational, by hoping that the cars will become self-driving, even though they are not currently. And this contrasts with comma.ai. So comma.ai was started by a hacker, George Holtz, and it's entirely free and open source. They do sell a product, their comma three, which is the third version, sells for 1250 US, but they have a free and open source version that will work on 250 late model vehicles. So these are usually 2020 or later. So these are cars that have been released in the last four years, and they're able to tap into the computer on the vehicle and take control over a lot of the safety stuff, like the lane assist, the adaptive cruise control, the automatic braking systems, so that you as the driver can have greater control. But then this is basically a third market, a third party aftermarket self-driving vehicle product. Now, unlike Tesla, they do not actually market as self-driving. Right. Partly for legal reasons, but like Tesla, they are aspirational. Right. And when you listen to the interviews that they often have in terms of the kind of uh, the, the long road map or the vision as they see themselves as the Android to Tesla's Apple. The mm-hmm. idea that Tesla has the premium part of the market where people are spending a lot of money to get a Tesla vehicle versus these guys for very cheap, even free will allow you to have access to the same technology, only they are phrasing it differently, even though they have the same roadmap for self-driving vehicles. Now, the auto industry hates comma.ai. They think that they're irresponsible. They think that they're renegades because they're doing this outside of the traditional industry formats versus Comma.ai would say that they're way way more responsible because they're not hyping it up and they're dealing with the end consumer, to Greg's point, ensuring that they are fundamentally responsible. And the technology they have to make sure that the driver is attentive and in control is far more aggressive and onerous than Tesla has. So it is an interesting contrast, but one that is still deemed as dangerous. So it begs two questions. Are people like Greg who are interested in the technology like Greg, would you go and install this on your own if you had the means or conversely, 
is this an example of more danger, right? Of more hype only because the industry can no longer control these capabilities. If they don't build them into their cars, some hacker is gonna develop it externally as an aftermarket add-on. So I'm curious where this leaves us, both on the level of responsibility, but also on the level of narrative, of what are the stories we're telling about our cars? Because I think David's original argument, which is if we want self-driving, hire a bus driver, right? Or a streetcar and make it mass transit rather than dealing with the scourge of cars that are literally killing us. Any thoughts, takers, comments? I have a thought. Yeah. Go ahead, David. So, you know, the thought I was having as I was listening to you and t talk about comma AI was you use the word control as if it would give people control, but actually the software does the reverse. It seems as if it says to you, you don't need to be in control. We are in control. And it applies not only to the, the AI, um, the comma.ai, but also the Tesla software. It's, um, it's a taking away of control. So there are some of us who prefer to have control taken away from us and others of us who, who don't. Anyway, I just thought it was a curious um, play on uh, words language. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was wondering where the, or who the Microsoft to the comma AI is, right? So what Microsoft is to uh, open AI, right? Which car manufacturer could play Microsoft's parts to uh, comma AI? Because I would not understand why uh, no, um, you know, sizable car manufacturer would try to scoop so them up. The, you know, the you short can answer, them. Yeah, they don't let themselves be scooped up. Uh, the short answer is GM Cruise would mm -hmm. be the Windows. And of course, GM Cruise has had their own uh, scandal in the last two weeks because, uh, again, they had a self-driving car kill someone. And mm -hmm. the details around that were, were covered up by Cruise. And so the, the executive in charge of Cruise was fired. They shut down all of their pilot projects. So that's the equivalent mm -hmm. of the mm -hmm. Microsoft version. But then to your last point, no, comma.ai would not sell it to anyone. It's a zealot, mm -hmm. right? George Holtz is a zealot. He's a true believer. Mm -hmm. He's got enough money. He doesn't need to sell out. You know, they, they, they're going to see it to the long haul. Stro, you wanted to jump in. Yeah, you know, I keep thinking about this would be a good comparison uh, to the food industry, right? Because we know how important our food supply chain is and how do we ensure quality? Well, as important as we know and as many systems as we have in place to ensure that nobody dies from <laughs> listeria or whatever, right? It still happens all the time. So it's like, how, how can we be sure that this technology is actually safe? Uh, and I mean, cars aren't safe when people are behind it, even though they're licensed to do it, right? Like there's always going to be some infallibility involved. And uh, for that reason, I like to, you know, I, I actually have had the privilege of driving a Tesla. I got to drive one of those plaid Teslas. Uh, let me tell you, that is the most fun thing I've, I've ever been behind the wheel of, right? Like it's the fastest production car ever made. Incredible. Like zero to 101 second. It's like you literally go plat. Um, incredible right uh but i would never put that car into 
automotive or whatever, because that's not the point of driving a vehicle. Like you're kind of missing the point. And the bus is a better, mm-hmm. a bicycle is a way better way, way to get around. You know, like if you don't really want to engage with the vehicle and be present, it's no different than a horse. Uh, you you kind of have to want to do it and be comfortable doing it and have a, a relationship with that thing. So, uh, you know, this other company that's kind of getting on board like we need some we need something in place to make sure that the technology is actually safe and fail and like fail safe right or and what are the what are the risks we're willing to take uh you know like to let that allow that to happen uh so i would never put that in my car but again i'm a driver i'm not you know like i will take i'd rather take the bus if i can't drive kind of thing I, i don't know if that makes sense but you know what i mean yeah, I, um, you know, that little anecdote that you just shared, Jesse, about GM and the death and the cover-up that's driving me absolutely crazy here, right? Um, as I said in my introduction, um, I'm really, really wondering what the status and the role of the car industry in our society is, right? One of my favorite absurdities is that uh, pedestrian interference is a felony, Right, which is like absolutely mind blowing pedestrian interference. Just think about that. <laughs> yeah, and although um, you you do live in New York, the jaywalking capital of, of North America, <laughs> but 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 still, come on, please. And again, you know, imagine, imagine, imagine. Let's say that at uh, Taco Bell's, imagine someone died at Taco Bell two weeks ago. What do you think would have happened? Right, and here is someone. And GM and the cover up and no one hears about it. And I think, you know, to your point, what needs to happen with people like Comma AI and other little companies, Jesse, I think there needs to be some uh, David against Goliath uh, movement in order to free us of the shackles of a big car uh, who get bailed out as soon as we go into recession. And, um, you know, I mean, Comma AI don't stand a chance otherwise. So that that's, you know, all, all due respect to David, because David, yes, we really do want you to take on Goliath. But to your point, the, the one other story I wanted to end on today, which I also mentioned in the newsletter, is a little David called Edison Motors. And Edison Motors is this really fascinating company out of British Columbia, rural British Columbia, that they initially built uh, a, a hybrid heavy-duty truck for the forestry industry, But they've now announced this pickup kit conversion, which basically allows you to convert any pickup truck into basically an electric vehicle, into a a hybrid because it has a diesel generator. But, you know, this is really impressive. And this is a kind of David and Goliath uh, uh, setup. And in particular, they're focusing on independent mechanics as the installers. So a way of training independent mechanics throughout the country, throughout the continent, on how to convert traditional ICE, internal combustion engine vehicles, into EVs. So this is exactly the type of thing where it it addresses all of the kind of issues that drivers want in terms of having an EV that has range, that has capabilities. And this is a small company that rather than inventing a whole new vehicle is instead saying, well, why don't we convert existing vehicles? We've got lots of good trucks, which have decent bodies and decent, you know, are already owned by people. We don't need to create new ones. 
This is exactly the kind of grassroots phenomena. So David, since you were evoked there biblically, I'm curious <laughs> what, what you think of this Edison Motors thing uh, and, and whether you think something like this is viable. Like, would you see, you know, a shop like Eurotech kind of seeing this as an opportunity to convert old vehicles into EVs? Or do you think this is just marketing hype? Is this too good to be true, as it were? Yes. <laughs> and why? Um, I, I really don't know, Jess. Uh, um, you know, it's it's. Um, I, I really don't know what to say. It's a great idea, it seems like, and, and you know, um, good on them for for that. Uh, what is that? What is the word for those people who tinker away at things and um, tinkers? <laughs> Tinker, tinker away at things, and, 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 and you know, do things that no one has uh, thought of before, or that people wish that they had done. And yeah, it, it's great, and it it may catch on. I can imagine Eurotech, my guys, being interested in, like they would just kind of roll their eyes and say, you know, we have a hard enough trouble time dealing with the most refined engineering in the world these days, let alone some um, small small company. But you know, what do I know? It definitely has potential, you know, to Jan's point about a kind of grassroots response to big auto. Other thoughts on these kinds of, yeah. you know, David Goliath I, and Amos? Go ahead, Stro. I love this Edison idea, right? Because one of the things I love about cars, the, the uniqueness and design of older ones, I, I feel like if there was a way to keep, you know, and just even for how much more trash it creates to to put cars in a mm -hmm. uh, you know in the car dump or whatever uh like to be able to reuse them and with the new technology that actually makes sense and is hybrid because i think that is you know especially when you're in remote areas you you don't have to rely on the grid if you're off grid right so to have something in place like this this sounds like a dream come true if it can actually happen and we can turn old a beautiful old 70s ford or something into something that that can last forever right um especially with other technologies that you can you, you can use like you know 3d printing and things like that to actually keep the parts going if we map it all out i think that's that's wonderful that's really cool and um yeah go edison right on yeah, I love I love initiatives like this one. Uh, similarly to people growing tomatoes in office windows, right? Or other people setting up uh, mini power plants on balconies, or even uh, that little um, article that we had about that barge that is, uh, you know, circling Manhattan and uh, having people experience herbal gardens and soil first hand. Oh, wow. Whether this is a massive success or not, uh, Jesse, I think is almost secondary. But, you know, the more grassroots ideas and initiatives, uh, the better, because that basically then brings us closer to uh, the cars and how they work instead of, oh, you know, let's not touch anything and have everything happen autonomous. I'm not even involved. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, go ahead, Stro. Sorry, can I just add one more thing? Like something just popped in my mind is like, you know, I think the real issue with Tesla and, and in comparison to Edison or David and Goliath and the food industry is that when we create things that are too big, they, they, they get out of our control. You know that every farmer that takes care of it hands on their land, the food source, you know that food is generally going to be safe 
and good quality. As soon as you leave it to big entities to take care of every little detail, that's when we lose the safety and the quality of things. And I think the same thing goes for the car industry or any other industry for that matter. Small is beautiful, as the old old phrase used to be. And I think uh, it, it kind of it's a good point for us to end or wrap things up. I think this has been a good conversation that gets into the delusions of self-driving, but also to David's point, the illusions of control. And that maybe when we're being offered control, we're actually giving up control, which is a paradox we all need to be careful of. This has been another episode of the Echo Punks. I thank Jan and Stro and Sharita and David for joining us. Uh, we'll be back again soon. We've got a special guest coming up this week, Mark Sermon from Mozilla Firefox. Uh, any final words before we depart? No, then please give us a rating on your favorite podcast app, thumbs up on YouTube, and please, bow to the algorithmic masters so that others might be able to identify us. All right. Thanks a lot, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.